invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Last week, we as a church uh, voted to call three men to serve as elders of Grace Covenant Church. And two of them have been installed this morning. And we can praise the Lord and rejoice in that as our church has taken significant steps in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word. And so on the, on the one hand, we, we give thanks for this and we, we rejoice that something tremendously God-honoring has been done, uh, that we have obeyed the word of God, even though uh, in a very real, practical, tangible sense, very few of us have had any experience with this at all. And so uh, we can rejoice in that. And on the other hand, uh, we do want to acknowledge this morning that we have taken a huge leap of faith in trusting the Lord. That though we have had no real prior experience with this in any tangible way, we trust that the word of God is sufficient and it is authoritative. And that if the Lord has commanded this in his word and he has raised up men among us to serve in this capacity, uh, then he will continue to give grace for us as a church as we persevere in this. And so this morning we want to talk about um, elders and the responsibility of elders from 1 Peter chapter 5. And if you have found your place, I invite you to stand with me as we read God's word together. First Peter 5, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word. You may be seated. And so since we have never experienced this in a practical way, some of us might have questions such as, what will our elders do? What will their relationship be to the congregation? How will we know if our elders are functioning biblically? And so while we have looked at passages such as uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and we've looked at passages like Acts 20 and other places, uh, I wanted to draw our attention to these verses today because we come celebrating a, a very special thing in that we have installed elders over Grace Covenant Church. But we don't want to look at this text in complete isolation as if we're plucking it out of 1 Peter because the context of 1 Peter as a whole actually informs what elders do, and why they do it. You see, Peter is writing to Christians who are living as exiles in their lives, in the world, that they have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. They have been transformed, transferred rather, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because they are living as exiles in the world, but not of the world, they're enduring all sorts of persecutions and hardships and sufferings. And so Peter is writing to saints who are suffering because of their faith in Christ. They're, they're suffering, and, and, and while they may understand completely, as Peter writes to them, that this suffering is in the hand of a sovereign God, a faithful creator, 
who, ha- who holds all things in his hands and who has declared the end from the beginning. And while they might understand that they are suffering because it is God's will that it will produce Christ's likeness in them. And while they understand that Peter is calling them to persevere and to trust the Lord in the faith as they endure this hardship and suffering. Peter also acknowledges that while all of this is in God's hands and we have these challenges to us to persevere in them. It doesn't make it any less hard. It doesn't make the hardships any less difficult. It doesn't make the trials any less severe. And so Peter acknowledges that we live in a broken world that is marked by sin and by suffering. And so in the context of 1 Peter, some of the suffering comes at the hands of just living in a sinful, fallen, broken world. Some of the suffering comes at the hands of a government who is persecuting and oppressing Christians for their faith in Christ. Some of this may come at the hands of family as as a wife comes to faith in Christ but her husband has not or vice versa. There's real suffering that comes along with that. Peter also mentions that there are slave owners suffering at the hands of unjust masters. And so Peter recognizes and acknowledges that in this fallen broken world and all of these relationships there is real tangible suffering that exists. And so Peter understands and acknowledges that there is real suffering that comes in the Christian life. And this hurt, this suffering is designed by the hands of a faithful creator to end in our salvation. That's where the perseverance comes in that Peter actually calls the saints in verse 19 of the previous chapter. So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. And really, that's a, a, an overarching summary of the entire book of First Peter, particularly of chapter 4, that we suffer knowing that it is in the hands of a faithful creator, and yet we continue doing what is good. And so Peter points them to the eternal hope that they have in Christ, points them to the need for perseverance. And yet when he pivots to chapter 5, he begins talking about elders. It's because godly leadership is needed to help Christians live well and to persevere in the midst of a fallen world marked by suffering. And so, dear Christian, when your life is marked by persecution, when your life is marked by spiritual abuse or rejection or temptation to turn to our former way of life and to to forsake this life of exile and to just embrace the world again, know that through those trials and hardships and temptations, There is a call to persevere, and yet God, through Christ Jesus, has provided all the infrastructure that we need to persevere in the form of godly leadership. Godly leadership helps Christians to persevere through this hardship and to be refined by the fiery trials uh, that mark their lives. And so elders provide leadership to a congregation that will most certainly endure suffering in a broken world by shepherding their souls as stewards before God. Elders shepherd souls as stewards before God. And so Peter charges these elders to shepherd and to lead God's flock because he understands the difficulty of the Christian life. And so we see in and through this metaphor of shepherding, That eldering is soul care. It's the work of caring for the souls of Christians who are enduring suffering and hardship. It's leading them, them through the trials of life to the end that their dross is consumed and their gold is refined. And that the last day they obtain the salvation that they have hoped for in this life 
through Christ Jesus. This makes the work of eldering personal work, ministering to individuals and to Christians in their walk. It makes it difficult work, but more than anything, it makes it needful work because it provides the, the support that we need as Christians to persevere in the faith. And so you may be sitting here this morning and thinking to yourself, I don't, I don't need elders. I, I, I can do this myself. I'm a red-blooded American. I do everything else on my own, and, and the Christian life, I can do it on my own as well. Dear brother or sister, this would be foolish, for Christ has prescribed in his word that we need support. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, he challenges us, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. And yet we do that by persevering together, and elders are one part of that. You may be thinking this morning, well, okay, well, you're saying that I'm not as, as mature as you because I'm not serving as an elder right now or, or something like that. Brothers and sisters, that's not what it's about at all. In fact, one of the shortcomings that I found just by way of practical argumentation for a plurality of elders in serving as a solo pastor for a few years, one of the hardest things about serving as a solo pastor is not having other elders to shepherd your soul in a real, formal, tangible sense. Sure, there are other men that you know in the ministry who are able to speak into your life and they're able to hold you accountable in certain ways, but there is no substitute for a plurality of elders in which all of us, myself included, are shepherded by men qualified by Scripture. But you might be thinking this morning, okay, this is like the umpteenth sermon we've heard on elders, but I still don't really get it, and I don't need to understand this myself. Brothers, this sermon this morning, this word from the Lord in 1 Peter 5, is not just for the two men and their families sitting on the front row, or even for myself. It's for all of us, because we as a congregation, if the elders of Grace Covenant Church are to help us to persevere, but then we must understand their role and responsibility in aiding us in that perseverance. And so elders shepherd the church through suffering in a broken world to the glory of God. And so this morning, as we look to 1 Peter 5, as we understand the work of shepherds, there are three things that we need to understand about the role of shepherds. And the first, if you're following along and taking notes, is this. Elders shepherds God's people in a broken world. By looking to godly examples. Elders shepherd God's people in a broken world by looking to other godly examples. Look with me again at verse 1. Verse 1 says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. And so this exhortation to the elders comes from Peter himself, and he identifies with them First, as a fellow elder, Peter is pointing to himself as an example of how to do the ministry and the work of an elder. He calls himself a fellow elder to shepherd the flock of God. And so through that term, through the word elder, we understand that there is a, a maturity, a wisdom that comes. It's a challenge to care for others. And in doing this, Peter says, do this as I have done. I'm a fellow elder with you. But then he also says that I'm a witness of Christ's suffering. I do think that this is probably some sort of subtle appeal to his apostolic authority. Though he's trying to identify himself with these elders, he's also saying that I have witnessed and observed the sufferings of Jesus. And, and Peter's not denying the fact that he himself removed himself from that crucifixion, that he denied the Lord and he distanced himself from Jesus. And yet, all through his life, through the life and ministry of Jesus... Peter was a witness of these things. He saw his suffering in life. 
He saw his suffering, his death. He witnessed his glorious resurrection and ascension. And he has now become a witness of those things, testifying to the world through his apostolic ministry of what has happened in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ Jesus. And so he's saying, brothers, I have witnessed these things, but yet as a minister of the gospel, as a minister of Christ's sufferings, I am a co-laborer with you in these ways. But he also appeals to them as a fellow Christian. He says, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. And he's really appealing to the hope that all Christians have, not as an apostle, not as an elder, but the the hope that all Christians have, that as we endure the sufferings and trials of this life, we are longing for and hoping for and looking for glory to be revealed on the last day when Christ returns for his people. Christians live in an eager expectation of the day that Christ will be revealed in his glory and we will all obtain our final salvation. Brothers and sisters, we are saved in a very real sense, justified before the Lord God Almighty. But in another real sense, we have yet to obtain the salvation of our souls and we persevere in this life, longing for the final fulfillment and salvation when Christ returns in glory. That's the glory that's about to be revealed. And so he appeals appeals to the elders on these three bases to shepherd the flock of God. Peter is an elder, an apostle, and a fellow Christian serving the Lord. But let's remember who Peter has been, even after coming to know the Lord, even as as a disciple of Jesus. Peter is the man who once rebuked Jesus because he said that he was going to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. Peter is one of the ones who were taken with Jesus a little further in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as Jesus went on to pray, Peter is one of the ones who fell asleep and could not watch and pray with Jesus for an hour. Peter is one who denied Jesus at his crucifixion. And in all of these ways, I think we could certainly argue that Peter was disqualified in some ways to serve in this capacity. And yet, at the end of John chapter 21, we read of Peter being restored to the ministry. On the seashores of Galilee, after his resurrection, Christ restores Peter. He comes to him and asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he challenges him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And so Peter now appeals to other elders and identifying with them. Peter's not denying or not acknowledging that he's the one who denied Christ and was later restored. No, he's appealing to them as a fellow elder, knowing that he just does not have sinlessness. Knowing that the authority that he has even to appeal to them is only granted to him by the one who has restored him in the first place. He appeals to them in their common bond as servants of Christ, longing for their final salvation. And this reminds us that no one, including the spokesmen of the apostles of Jesus Christ, deserve this office. No one earns it by their own volition. No one earns it because they're better than any other person. No, they've been qualified for it by Christ himself and because they've been forgiven by Christ and a recipient of his grace. We install this elders in this church this morning precisely as a recognition that only Christ is head of his church and has chosen to entrust this church to imperfect men to shepherd his people. So elders lead not because they're better than everyone else, 
but because they have been extraordinary recipients of God's grace. They've been restored as Peter has been restored. They, they shepherd as Peter shepherds, as one who recognizes and understands, save for the grace of God, I would be just as sinful as the next person. And so elders shepherd then by looking to other godly examples. Peter says, I exhort you as a fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God. There's a very real sense in which pastors and elders aren't reinventing the wheel. The church has been around for 2,000 some odd years now, and there have been elders in churches for a long time shepherding the flock of God who have understood what the Word of God means and how it applies to the Christian life. And so elders look to other godly examples in submission to them. In a very real sense, elders stand on the shoulders of giants as they shepherd the flock of God. Elders identify faithful men who they can learn from and listen to and emulate them as shepherds. And likewise, congregation, Christ has given us elders to listen to them, to learn from them, and to emulate them as they imitate Christ before us. And so, brothers and sisters, the qualifications of an elder are vitally important. The the character qualifications are vitally important because... As they look to other examples who are following Jesus, so we look to them as, as models for what it means to follow Jesus. There will come a day for Grace Covenant Church that there will be a temptation towards pragmatism in installing elders. To put men in the office of elder who do not qualify by scripture, but because they hold some important role in, in their lives or that they're good leaders in the secular world. But we need to be careful to only install elders who meet these qualifications to serve as godly examples to the flock. Men who serve well as elders, men who witness and testify about the sufferings of Christ, and men who as fellow Christians with us are looking for and longing for the glory which is about to be revealed in Christ Jesus. So I want to stop here for just a moment and ask you, are you looking for and longing for the glory about to be revealed in Christ Jesus? If you're a Christian, I hope that you are. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you've not come to know Christ in a saving way, you may be thinking, hey, it's going to be great when Jesus comes back, but not for you. The glory to be revealed is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. When Christ returns, there is not glory for those who are outside of Christ. There is only judgment and condemnation and the wrath of God poured out on you for all eternity because you are still in your sins. But if you would receive Christ Jesus and look to the glory that's about to be revealed, turning from your sins and looking unto Jesus as the author and finisher of your faith, the Savior of your soul, There will be glory for you when he returns. There will be salvation. You will obtain the eternal inheritance that you think that you're longing for, but you cannot earn that for yourselves. It is a gift to you from Christ Jesus. Won't you look to him and live eternally? And so, dear church, elders shepherd God's people in a broken world by looking to godly examples. But the second thing that I want us to see this morning is that elders shepherd God's people in a broken world by stewarding God's flock as leaders. They shepherd God's people in a broken world by stewarding God's flock as leaders. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of 
excuse me, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those who entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. You see, Peter is giving us by way of analogy or by way of metaphor what it really means for a pastor to serve as a pastor. He calls them shepherds. And so immediately in our minds, we start thinking of maybe some Old Testament imagery of a man walking with a staff and leading sheep behind him. Maybe we think of Psalm 23 and and the way that that analogy is used there. Or, Or maybe we think of Moses leading the people in the wilderness as he goes before them as the water is parted or, or some dramatic imagery like that. Or maybe your mind just goes to the simple imagery of a shepherd who is caring and tending for a very small flock of sheep, just a handful, and yet he loves them as he loves themselves. And so if we were to consider this metaphor and to think about the implications of that, it really helps us to understand what it means for an elder to be a shepherd of the flock of God. You see, for him to be a shepherd of the flock of God, he must know the sheep. Think about in Luke 15, Jesus says uh, that, that he leaves the 99 to go after the one that has been lost. He knows how many sheep are his, and he knows who the sheep are that are his, and he goes after them, and he cares for them. And so in a very real sense, elders, pastors, must know the sheep that are in charge to their care. In a book by Jeremy Rennie um, about church elders, he actually continues this analogy, I think, to the extreme, but I really like it. He says that an elder, a pastor... A shepherd must smell like the sheep. If a man doesn't smell like sheep, then it's reasonable to assume that he hasn't been around the sheep. And so he must care for the flock by knowing them intimately and personally and and caring for them. And he shepherds the flock of God, he says, that is among you. Not every sheep in the world, but there is a specific sheep that Christ has entrusted to every man. Again, uh, there's a very real sense in one of the most solemn verses, but one of the most reassuring verses in all of Scripture to a pastor is Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Peter challenges the elders to shepherd the flock of God among you. And pastors, again, this is a solemn charge that there are people who are entrusted to your care and you will give an account on the last day. But at the same time, it is a relief, a reassurance to know that a pastor is only responsible for those that have formally recognized him as a pastor. He's not responsible for every sheep throughout the world. There are shepherds over those flocks. He is responsible to shepherd the flock of God among him among himself and so shepherds lead and they give an account and the congregation follows with joy and understanding that the elder is responsible to give oversight for their own soul he knows the sheep but he also feeds the sheep one of the primary responsibilities of an elder is to to lead the flock before grass and to lead them before clear water for them to drink It is the responsibility of the shepherd to feed the flock of God. That's why one of the qualifications to be a pastor and not one of the qualifications to be a deacon is to be apt to teach. He must be able to feed the flock the word of God and encourage them in the word of God uh, and and to rebuke those who contradict it. In fact, one of the other roles of a a shepherd uh, is to protect the sheep. Paul warns in Acts chapter 20 that soon after his departure, savage wolves will rise up from within the church and without the church, trying to devour the flock. 
And it is the responsibility of the pastor as a shepherd to protect and to guard the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ so that none of them be lost for him on the last day. They guard and protect and they warn and they rebuke. They protect the sheep. But they also lead the sheep. Peter says in verse 2, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. There's a very, very real sense in which the elder, the pastor, the shepherd leads the flock of God. This word overseer means to, to manage or, or to, uh, to give watchful care or direction to. In fact, Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 5, that the elders who direct the affairs of the church well should be counted worthy of double honor. They direct the affairs of the church. They care for the sheep and they lead them in this way. They're called an elder in Scripture because they must demonstrate wisdom and experience that provides the, the wisdom necessary to give counsel and guidance to the congregation. They're called shepherds or pastors because they must have the ability to lead a flock and to care for a flock. And they're called overseers because they must have the ability to manage God's people and to care for them and, and, and give direction to them. They're elders, pastors, overseers. And so we see here that the work of a shepherd is tedious and laborious. It's often messy and slow and requiring much patience. Knowing sheep and leading sheep and feeding sheep and protecting them requires patience and care for them. It's not an easy task, but it is a needed task because those sheep, the flock of God, is going to endure much suffering and hardship. There are going to be trials and wolves and snares and evil, and there's going to be the elements around them. There's going to be much thing, many things to destroy the flock of God, and shepherds are charged with the protection of this flock. And so there's a measure of authority granted to elders by Christ to oversee them and to care for them. And so for this reason, Peter gives a solemn charge to shepherd the flock of God. But they do that, watching over and caring for their own lives. In fact, Peter gives them some pitfalls to watch out for. He says, first, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. Not overseeing out of compulsion or constraint or grudgingly. Not to go about their task in a weary mentality, but to do so willingly as a, as a volunteer that there is a desire for this task. One of the qualifications to be an elder is to aspire for the office of elder. And so Peter reminds them not to go about their task out of a sense of duty or obligation, though oftentimes in the work of a shepherd, it is that sense of duty or obligation that just keeps you persevering in the work. In fact, C.S. Lewis describes the sense of duty that comes with a pastor this way. A perfect man would never act from a sense of duty. He'd always want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love, like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course it is idiotic to use the crutch when our own leg can do the journey on their own. And so the, the warning to the pastor, to the shepherd, is that there is a sense of duty which comes with it. But there also must be an eagerness, a willingness to shepherd the flock of God, not out of a sense of duty, but out of a love for God and a love for his people. And so there's a willingness that the shepherd embraces, that this is God's will for him and for the flock, and he makes God's will his own will. 
But he also says that they should not be greedy for money, but eager. Elders must be eager to teach, but not be eager for money. And this is not just for paid staff elders. This is for lay elders as well. All pastors must model this before the flock, that their eagerness, their desire for the flock is not to, uh, to gain anything from the flock, but to provide for the flock. Their eagerness is not to make provision for themselves, but to have, be eager to make provision for others, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, a willingness to serve. It also says that they should not lord it over those entrusted to them, but be examples to the flock. The authority that comes with the office of pastor is tempting to be corrupted by authority. And so a man must not pursue the office of pastor because he desires the authority or the power that comes with that. It's not about having your own way or building your name or making sure that everyone knows how special you are or insisting on submission just by virtue of the role that you hold in the church. Those men who exercise the office of elder must always remember that the misuse of their power only impairs the church. It drives the church away from the chief shepherd and toward their own devices. Under shepherds, elders are under shepherds who do not lord their authority over the church, but rather serve by examples to the flock as Christ served as example for us. No greater love has man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Christ says that I came not to serve, but to be served and to give my life a ransom for many. And so elders do not serve by domineering or lording things over the church, but serves as a willing sacrifice to them. And in this way, they show exemplary character to the congregation. That word example there uh, actually means an imprint or an impression. You, you can think a little bit like if you have a stamp that has ink on it or, or like a stamp that would, would stamp the back of a check. It gets ink on it and then it flips over and it presses itself down upon uh, uh, the item that is being stamped. Well, in this way, elders are to serve as examples before the flock of God by imprinting not themselves, but they are imprints of Christ Jesus so that when their lives touch another, the impression that is left behind is not, oh, he's a good old boy or, or, you know, he's a great guy, but that Christ was left on my life, that he left the impression of Jesus upon my life. And so shepherds shepherd through the brokenness and suffering, touching lives, but leaving behind the trace, not of themselves, but of Christ Jesus, whose grace is sufficient for them. And so brothers, guard your life and guard your doctrine because you are called to be shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ, under shepherds of him and shepherding the flock of God. Be examples to the flock and may your life impress Christ on others. But do this shepherding with fear and trembling, knowing that you are a steward of what belongs not to yourself, but of God. I remember a time when I once borrowed a vehicle from someone and it was a big, like, you know, jacked up, on six-inch lift, it was a huge truck. I never drove a truck that big in my life before. I had to borrow his truck. And so I'm driving it, and I'm, you know, 10 and 2 position, and I'm a nervous wreck. Why? Because I understand it didn't belong to me. It, it belonged to someone else. And so, brothers, as you shepherd the flock of God, you are mere stewards of what belongs to the Lord Jesus himself. You steward the flock of God as under-shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, dear congregation, my exhortation to you is to recognize that in a very real sense, the men who were installed this morning are pastors. 
we might be tempted to think, well, okay, Justin or, or JT, they're our real pastors, and, and Chris and Jonathan and, and Dudley are the other guys. They're, you know, they're in a different office or in a, in a different category. But we have entered into a formal recognition this morning that these men are pastors of Grace Covenant Church. And so we want to recognize that and we want to receive their leadership and we want to pray for them as pastors and we want to receive their care. We want to make their pastoring as joyful as possible. We want to find as many ways as possible to encourage them in the work that the Lord has in, uh, entrusted to them. And as you would let your concerns be known to me or your prayer requests be known to me, let your concerns and your requests be known to them as well, that they may pray with you, that they may shepherd your souls. And so we see, congregation, that elders shepherd God's people, shepherd our people in a broken world by being stewards of the flock as leaders. But the final thing that we want to see this morning comes from verse 4. Elders shepherds God's people in a broken world by submitting to the chief shepherd. Verse 4 says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so Peter here articulates a clear incentive for faithful shepherding as stewards of God's people. He knows from experience that the office of elder requires sacrifice, it requires time, requires patience. However, that sacrifice is not without reward for those who serve well. The reward and glory of shepherding is not, though, received in this life, but in the life to come, at the coming of Christ Jesus. There's a crown of glory awaiting. Pastors labor not for pay or power in this life, but pastors labor to honor Christ who will return with reward in hand. And so Peter brings to mind for the pastor the victor's crown. As, as a man who would run in the Olympics or as a man who would run a race and, and be victorious, who would overcome, who would persevere to the end, stands on the winner's platform and receives the crown of glory. And so the crown of glory will be received by those who serve well. But this is also a recognition of the authority of Christ Jesus. Because it is Christ who gives the crown. Because it is Christ's church. This is a recognition of his authority, that he is the chief shepherd, the one who is truly shepherd over the flock of God. This is a recognition that he will appear from heaven, as we heard just a couple weeks ago, or, or last week, in fact, about the ascension of Jesus Christ. We understand that he is now enthroned upon the throne of heaven, and he reigns over all, but he will return in glory for his people. This is a recognition that we serve under the authority of another. The authority of leaders in a church is a derived authority from the authority of Christ. It is a derived authority. It is a derived will that we operate not on our own will, but upon the will of Christ Jesus. And it is a temporary leadership, a stewardship, until the chief shepherd returns. And so elders are called to sacrifice, but not without promise of reward at Christ's return. There is incentive and motive for the hard work. There is incentive to help others to endure their suffering as elders suffer themselves. And so whatever hardship, whatever sacrifice, whatever self-denial, whatever slander or lack of appreciation, if it is associated with glorifying Christ in the work of a pastor, it will be worth it all when Christ returns. And so brothers, I would encourage you, shepherd in view of Christ's return. 
Shepherd, knowing that yours is a temporary stewardship and that Jesus will one day return for his flock. And so the authority that you have, know that it is derived from Christ himself. This is a warning to you not to wield it as a lording and domineering over the flock, but to know that it is Christ. But it is also an encouragement to you that insofar as that you are being obedient to the Lord Jesus, that he grants his authority to you to shepherd the flock of God. In the same way, there is a warning not to impose your own will upon the flock, but to impose the will of the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience to his scriptures. And in another sense, there is eternal consequences for shepherding the flock of God. And so may you look with eager expectation to the return of Christ, and may you do so with fear and trembling, knowing that you will give an account on the last day for the flock of God. Shepherd in view of Christ's return. So, dear church, we have seen the office of elder, and we have seen the responsibilities that come along with that office. We've seen that it is hard work, and that it, but that it is also rewarding work. And that in the midst of this fallen, broken world in which we live, in the wisdom of God, He has provided oversight for us. He has provided shepherds, and these shepherds, these elders, shepherd God's flock through this broken world by looking to other examples. And as they look to other examples, as they look to Christ, and as they look to other men who are following Christ, so we look to them and imitate their lives. But elders shepherd God's people in a broken world as stewards. And we have seen the stewardship that is entrusted to them. And dear congregation, I pray this morning uh, that we would aid them in that stewardship as best as we can and receive their leadership as they steward that which has been granted them from God. And we have seen that elders shepherd God's people in a broken world by submitting to the chief shepherd. And as they submit to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, so we submit to them. And so we receive the leadership of Christ mediated through the men who God has entrusted over us. And so we need elders. You all need elders, but I need elders. As much as one man may serve as a pastor, so he needs to be pastored by others. There is a mutual responsibility and accountability and submission that comes with serving as a pastor. Everyone, each and every one of us, needs the shepherding of our souls through the suffering and brokenness of this world. And so in a nutshell, that's what elders do. In a fallen, broken world marked by sin and suffering, they lead the flock of God through it so that on the last day we might all be presented blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ in his, when he returns in his power and in his glory. Let's go to him in prayer. Gracious Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for your word. We thank you that we as a church have taken a significant step in obedience to you today, and we pray, Lord, for grace to follow and submit to the leadership that you have placed over us. May we follow through in walking in accordance with your word as our elders steward the church as shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, now as we come to the table, we pray, Lord, that we would reflect upon the chief shepherd and his sacrifice to purchase this flock by his own blood. May we look to him and live, receive the blessings of life and grace. May through the reception of the table, uh, we be given strength to persevere to the end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.